Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Good morning, everyone. Last day of January. How can this be? Oh, my gosh. The plague times have made the time continuum. It just doesn't make any sense. It's the longest time and the shortest time. But anyway... (laughs) This is our last show of January. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Today we have Laura Elena Donnelly on. I can't wait for you to meet her. She has a really unique thriller that just came out, and I can't wait for her to tell us all about it. If you haven't read her books yet, you are in for quite a treat. And I'll read her bio here so you can get to know her. Laura Elena Donnelly is the author of Nebula, Lambda, and Locust-nominated trilogy, The Amberlow Dossier, as well as short fiction and poetry appearing in venues including Strange Horizons, Escape Pod, Nightmare, and Uncanny. Laura has taught the MFA program at Sarah Lawrence College as well as the Catapult Workshop in New York. She's a graduate of the Clarion and Alpha Writers Workshops and has served on-site staff in the latter, mentoring amazing teens who will someday take over the world of sci-fi fiction. Um, You can learn more about her at her website, and I did put a link right there, so if you're listening live or if you're listening later, you can click that link anytime and go check out her website. You can catch up on her books, and um, I can't remember if she had a newsletter there or not. I think there's also a blog, so you can check in with her and see what she's up to. And I don't want to delay anymore. Laura, are you there? I am. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for coming on today. You have a brand new book out called Base Notes, which involves perfume and murder, two things that I'm very interested in. So you want to tell everybody all about your book and why they should go grab a copy? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, I, too, am very interested in perfume and murder, though I only really, like, uh, pursue that, inter- like, one of those interests in my life. <laughs> I'll let you guys guess which of those interests it is. Um, Base Notes is a, a story that takes place in contemporary New York. It is about the millennial struggle to balance your passion with paying your rent, Um, It features Vic Fowler, who's a niche perfumer, who is really trying to keep a business above water in these trying times um, and just can't seem to manage to break even no matter what. And so has turned to a lucrative side hustle um, of making special perfumes that can help you relive a memory, not just like, you know, oh, the smell of fresh cut grass, that reminds me of my childhood, but like it will sink you into an incredibly vivid reliving the moment. The only catch is whoever is in that memory with you, like if you want to remember your first kiss, uh, you have to put that person, the kisser, into the perfume. So Vic is doing a lot of what amounts to murder for hire and then distilling bodies down into perfume ingredients uh, in order to make a little money on the side. Wow. And so does it matter what part of your person is in the perfume for it to work? 
Yeah, Vic's gotta Vic's gotta distill down pretty much the whole person. So there are a <laughs> lot of parts of the there are a lot of parts of the story that are about how do I get this bathtub into my basement while my <laughs> landlady is visiting family for Christmas. Uh, I'll pay the movers in cash and ask them not to tell anyone. <laughs> oh my gosh. How did you come up with the concept for this story? What, what inspired you to think, huh, if you melted down people and put them in perfume, maybe you could make a cool side hustle. <laughs> Um, well, so when we were chatting right before we went live, I mentioned the book Perfume, the Story of a Murder by uh, Patrick Siskind, which I actually hadn't read before I got the idea for this story. I had just heard a lot about it, um, and and I needed to write a short story for an anthology that I had said I would submit something for that was themed around the color orange. So in this like confluence of events, I had recently read an article in The Guardian by Jude Doyle, who is probably going to get freaked out by the number of uh, Google alerts that he's going to get during the promo cycle for this book. Uh, I had read this article by Jude Doyle called, I think it's called My Search for the Great American Perfume. And it, it basically was about how American perfume has so far, or until recently, sort of failed to live up to the venerable perfume houses of Europe, largely because American perfume had been very clean, like very um, sterile, very reminiscent of like laundry soap, um, because Americans didn't want to smell dirty. And that many successful classic perfumes had at their heart, like this sort of icky, animalic, or otherwise um, sort of bodily smell. <laughs> like they smelled kind of gross. <laughs> For instance, jasmine, which is a... <laughs> Jasmine, which is a scent that everyone tends to think of as like beautiful and lush and floral, Flowery. smells uh -huh, the way right. it does because at its at its base uh, there's a molecule called an indole, which is the same thing that makes poop smell bad. Um, so like deep, <laughs> deep, deep at its heart, jasmine smells like shit basically. So I read this and was really fascinated. And it noted that um, Blossom had historically been a, like a go-to choice in a lot of American perfumes or more modern perfumes because it smells very clean. So I had to write this story for this anthology themed around the color orange, and I had just read this article, and I was sort of aware of this Siskin novel. And, uh, and I wrote a short story about Vic, who wasn't named at the time, who was just the narrator of this story. Um, and and it ended up in the anthology, and then it was reprinted later in Nightmare Magazine, and then it just sat for a while. And I actually did read the Siskin book. Like while I was drafting the short story, I thought I'd better read this so that I know <laughs> I know what I'm getting into and like what what past piece of literature it might be in conversation with. Uh, and then it all kind of sat and stewed for a while. And um, my first novel, Amber Lowe, came out, and then I was contracted to write two sequels. Uh, and after the third book finally came out several years later, my agent asked me, like, what do you want to work on next? And I had a couple of ideas, and the least formed of them was this idea that I might turn The Dirty American, which was the short story, into a novel. And it was like so, there was like one line that was the pitch. I had no idea what it was going to be about, but I was like, I might, might want to write this. 
Uh, and I ended up, that's what I ended up writing was, was the dirty American in novel form, which became base notes. Oh, I love it. I, uh, started out selling, writing and selling, um, horror short stories. And I was lucky because I got to meet Ray Bradbury a couple of times before he passed away and he what? had encouraged, right? I know he could make you cry just talking about writing. But anyway, I, I couldn't get my first novel published and I was getting so depressed and I wasn't really writing anymore. And, so when I got to meet him, I asked him, you know, what, what can I do to improve my writing? Obviously, it must be my book is broken. And, and he said, write a new short story every week for a year. He said, you'll be a different writer. And I thought, I had already sold short stories at that time. I knew that you can't eat <laughs> selling short stories. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, I thought, huh, okay. And so it took me a couple months but I was so desperate that I started and it was so amazing that I did it for over a year and a half every single week on Sunday nights. Oh I would put God. up a new story. Yeah. I, I just got so addicted to it and I wrote three novels during that time, but a whole series of books for me started from one of those short stories from Ray Bradbury. So I'm always excited when I hear somebody you had a short story because I feel like, short fiction gets overlooked a lot, but there's so much power there. You know, a real germ yeah. of an idea can blow up into a whole book. I, I love hearing that. And, you know, writing a short story every week uh, when I was at the Clarion Workshop, that's basically what we did, and only for six weeks. And it was, it's exhausting. So I'm, like, really in awe <laughs> right. that you were able to write right. a short story every week. Like, that's incredible stamina. Yeah, yeah. But you do get faster the more you do it. I mean, when I started out, it would take me all week and it would be 11 o'clock at night before I'd have that thing done, edited and, and posted. But by the end, you know, after about a year of them, I I could do it in an afternoon. And I could never write that fast before. And that would include like, dreaming up what's it going to be about and then researching because to write a short story, you're always researching strange things. You know, what, what's a rogue, mm. can they have a rogue wave on a lake, you know, and weird things <laughs> and because they're so desperate for a story idea, but it really does. He was a genius. I mean, it really does change who you are when you write a bunch of short fiction because you do get better at you know pulling an idea out of the ether and you get better at researching to figure out how could I make this real and you know all that kind of thing and trying different genres because you're not married to it for you know a year you could <laughs> do it and then decide well maybe westerns aren't my thing um, <laughs> so, so it really was a great exercise to um, to do that. And, and I think that when you have a bunch of short stories in your vault, you have book ideas hidden in there. You know, if you pick through them, you can find germs where you're like, there is more to this, you know, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I my debut novel started out as a short story as well. Uh, and actually it started out as a series of short stories um, where I thought I would write, like, interconnected short stories all set in the same world and eventually it just coalesced into a novel because there was too much 
like the the shared world right. had too much potential to try to convey it with just short stories. Um, so I totally believe that that short stories usually have you know a, some some more that can be expanded. And that's the um, Amberlo dossier. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it started out as this sort of sprawling, too long short story that featured definitely the wrong point of view character, uh, and then had <laughs> a couple of weird short story children that you know, like I, I have a lot of house plants, so I was about to make a metaphor that I was like, I don't know if everyone will get this, but bromeliads and orchids tend to create pups where like you've got the one plant and then instead of making seeds or whatever, they'll, they'll sprout a second small plant off of, off of their larger plant mother. So I like this right. story. It was like a bromeliad and it started pupping. <laughs> well, I was looking the, I haven't read the um, trilogy yet, but I was looking them up and the way the covers are done and the way the blurbs are, it reminded me so much of like, you know, Great Gatsby kind of feel the noir mm. and all that. Is that, was that any part of the inspiration of those or where did, what was the inspiration behind those books? They're really inspired by, uh, like, Weimar Germany, but also uh, interbellum high society in London. So they're very, um, like, interwar tension and glamour and sort of that frantic need to have a big party before something terrible happens again. So in that way, very Gatsby-like, right? Right. You know, like, oh, my God, the Great Depression could happen any minute. Let's have a party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so those were also inspired by short stories. Do you want to tell people who haven't read them yet, you know, kind of what it's about? Uh, yeah, they're spy thrillers set in um, not quite our world. So they're, they're fantasy novels uh, just by dint of being set in a secondary world. But they're very espionage heavy intrigue lots of whispered secrets and clandestine meetings um in the first book amberlow there is an ascendant fascist party that is going to steal an election which is um you know when i wrote it i was like this is yeah yeah you see where this is going i was like this is a plot point a useful plot point and the book came out February 2017. So, like, the whole promo cycle leading up to this was like, wow, what a, what a startlingly timely novel. So the first book is, you know, fascism is coming to take over, um, and there's a double agent plot and, and lots of, you know, forbidden romance between, you know, someone on, on this side who's an unwilling collaborator with the fascists uh, and someone on this side who's just trying to get by uh, against the law, you know, smuggling drugs and generally being a, being a criminal kingpin. So you've got, like, your criminal kingpin and your unwilling fascist collaborator who are refusing to talk to each other about their feelings. Um, so, you know, all the good stuff, all the good stuff. And then books so two and three have are, are about. Oh yes, they have lots of romance, but it's usually it's it's not exactly like happy ever after romance. <laughs> everyone is 
everyone is really striving for their own ends, and no one is above using their loved ones to m meet those ends. Nice. <laughs> so no happy ever after, but there are some romantic feelings in there. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's no happy ever after. Uh, just it, it's a long and crooked road for some people to get to that happy ever after. <laughs> Uh, so I was going to ask you if um, if thrillers is is really you know your your niche is that what you love um, or do you have other genres you want to dabble in or what what's it look like for the future for you? It's very funny because I considered myself and still to some extent consider myself a, a fantasy author. But oh, okay. looking back at the novels that I have had come out, right, <laughs> I said Amber, the Amber Lowe dossier was fantasy by dint of taking place in a world that is not our own. But looking back on it, I was like, oh, those are actually quite quite spy thrillery. They're they're basically right. spy thrillers. Uh, they just happen to have this setting. So I guess I've been writing thrillers for years now and only just had a book come out that's <laughs> actually being marketed as one. Um, I just right. really like, I like that, that the thriller genre lets you have so much tension and, and backstabbing. It's like interpersonal tension and plot tension. I find it a really chewy genre. And do you enjoy, I was reading notes and, you know, your anti-hero, do you enjoy those kind of main characters? Do you enjoy writing in their skin? I do. I see people say morally ambiguous a lot in, <laughs> in reviews, which I know I am not supposed to read, but everyone, everyone does it. Everyone tells you, don't read your yes, reviews. Yes, I do too. Everyone does yeah. it. But you do. Um, yes. I, you can't help yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I see people say morally ambiguous a lot and I, I or morally gray. And like, I don't think this is really, I, I like people who have morals that are not um, like mainstream. Like I, I, I say instead of morally gray that that any given situation is a prism uh, that sort of shatters shatters white light into a rainbow of different moralities, right? So I like to see, given a certain character, if they run up against a certain situation, how is that individual going to react to that situation? Um, and I, I just have characters who react to situations differently than many many people <laughs> might. Um, but yeah, I really like writing characters who are um, who who make big choices. Right, it's kind of like that Dexter phenomenon where you you suddenly realize, ah, I'm rooting for a serial killer. What? Yeah, and I think that's kind of the marvelous thing about writing is that you can get your readers. Hopefully, you can get your readers on side even if your character is making choices that are not the choices the reader would make. You know, it's an exercise in empathy. And we don't necessarily mean that as always uh, a, not a positive thing. You know, I think people, when they conceive of, of 
reading a story as an exercise in empathy are like, oh, it's teaching me to be a better person and to like empathize with other people. Sometimes when you empathize with someone, it's not because you're like, yes, I'll empathize with them because I want to be a good person. It's really just about understanding where someone else is coming from even if that person is a serial killer, right? So it's about getting into their head and understanding why they've made the choices that they've made. And even if you don't agree with them, you're like, I I at least understand how we got from point A to point B. Right. (laughs) I would not make that choice myself, but. (laughs) Exactly. Would I, if faced with bankruptcy, would I kill a man? Like, would I do that? To, How far to would I go? Make ends meet? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I wanted to ask you what your favorite part of um, Base Notes was, your favorite part as you were writing, where you were like, oh, my God, this is the best. This is so fun. What What was your favorite part? Can you share a scene or something? Oh, man, my favorite part. Wow. <laughs> man. I I have a scene that was maybe, like, the hardest to write, but I think is maybe the best scene in the book, but it's a spoiler. So I'll try to talk about it in, like, veiled terms, but it's towards the end of the book, and it is a knockdown, drag-out fight scene that I think is, is, like, really good action, which is hard to write because you're asking the reader to imagine it all in their head. So you have to write it very clearly, which often means slowing way down, even if the fight is very fast-paced, um, and, and accurately describing sort of where everyone's body is in space without being boring and pedantic. So it's this knockdown, drag-out fight scene between two characters who you really don't want to be fighting. You're like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Please don't do it. But it's happening. Uh, And even Vic is like, I really don't want to be doing this, but here we are because it's very necessary to, you know, me not getting caught by the cops and my whole plan not falling apart. Like, this is a horrible necessity that I have to get through. And every time I would have to reread that scene when I was doing revisions, I'd know it was coming, and I'd start to get this dread in the pit of my stomach. I was like, I don't want to read this scene again. I don't want to read this scene again. It's so painful. And then when I would get through it, inevitably I would sit back and say out loud, my partner can confirm this, I would say out loud, oh, man, that scene is really good. <laughs> well, and I think too that um readers don't always notice when they're reading a fight scene, but usually the really good ones there is emotion in there. You know, you your character does feel some way about what's happening and if it's done really well, you don't always you feel it, but you don't always notice that that's what's happening, but I always enjoy when I can write a fight scene and feel like the emotion is in there too, you know, when they land a punch, it hurts more than physically, you know? And I think that Mm. that makes for an amazing um, fight scene when you can get all of that in there, that conflict of, you know, what they're doing versus what they're feeling is always really juicy to write. Yeah, in some ways, I think it's a lot like writing sex scenes, which is another thing I Mm -hmm. really like to do. And also requires you to make sure everyone's body parts are in the right place at the right time uh, without getting boring and pedantic (laughs) about it. 
Yes, yes. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because um, I write paranormal romance, so of course there's lots of sexy things, but it's it's funny because I talk to a lot of writer friends who, who have to write those scenes, and we do compare them to fight scenes because you've got to know where everything is, and it's something everyone's done, but you have to make it interesting, and so it is a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think it's been to me very satisfying to have done it because it it's just like I people always talk about how your sex scenes have to move the plot forward. Which to right. me is like partially sort of silly because often it is not a moment that's actually about the plot of the book. It's almost always about character. character. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is in a way moving the arc of the book forward um but it's also really interesting to me what purpose sex scenes serve in in a book uh beyond like character development um because they're not always i mean obviously they're sexy but they're not always just about titillation Uh, and i actually had a long conversation with a writer friend about this because in my next project i was like opening the book almost on a sex scene and i was like this is weird what is this doing here uh it can't it's not late enough in the story to be doing the character work that it usually does and it sort of came out that because this project was in a very different genre that i hadn't worked in before i was like learning how sex scenes functioned in this genre instead of the genres i had been working in which was like very different um i just i find them really fascinating as as literary exercises right for sure and they're always different depending on characters and the book you're writing, and I always find that funny because if I have to go back later and write something, I have to go back and reread, you know, how they talk and how they, you know, everything. It's it's very it's very interesting exercise for sure. <laughs> Are you still there? Yes. Sorry, no, I was like, did oh, I good. lose you? Okay. Yes, I'm still yeah. here. <laughs> it was. Okay, good. I was going to ask you really quick before we run out of time. Everybody's always really curious of what your writing journey was like to get published. So how did you, did you always want to be a writer or how did you end up, you know, on this path that you're on? I actually really wanted to be an artist when I was a small child. Uh, And even all the way up into applying to college, I was applying to a lot of art schools And then after all my college acceptances came in, I was like, you know what I really want to do, though, is get an English degree, (laughs) which made choosing a college sort of difficult because I had applied to all of the wrong ones. Uh, But I definitely have always been interested in telling stories and in in characters. Um, Like, shout out to my fifth and sixth grade teacher, Ms. Pettiford, who made us all write stories every week. Uh, and, and also in, in middle school, I was actually a part of, I don't know if they do this anywhere except in Ohio, which is where I grew up. We had a, a competitive short story writing program called Power of the Pen, where you would go to like a meet as if you were going to a sports wow. event. And there'd be three rounds. Yeah, there were three rounds where you'd get a prompt and have 45 minutes or something to write a short story. And then they'd all be judged. And then they gave out trophies. Uh, so I got wow. very good at writing short stories in a short amount of time when I was like 13. Uh, and from from then on, you know, the rest is history. I, I had caught the bug 
even if I thought I was <laughs> going to be an artist or a fashion designer, secretly deep down, it was too late for me. <laughs> you were already going to be a writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So too bad. So sad. Sorry. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Your heart's already spoken for. <laughs> So um, really quick, what's next for you? I mean, you, it's, it's probably top secret, but what kind, of, what kind of thing can we expect next? I actually have no idea. I mean, I have some projects that I'm working on, but n- no contracts or anything have been signed. So I'm working on the mysterious project that opens with a sex scene, which is a, a sort of <laughs> literary retelling of Tam Lin um, set at a, a multinational con- uh, consulting firm. So it's like very corporate fairy tale. Uh, and then I also have a, a graphic novel that I'm working on a script about that's a, it's a heist. So I've got like heist comic and then I've got a uh, corporate fairy tale and I'm working on both of them and we'll see if either of them goes anywhere. Or, you know, in a couple of years, I might have something come out that is neither of those and I'll be on another interview show and they'll be like, where'd you get the idea for this? And I'll be like, well, there was this random short story that I, you know, abandoned <laughs> and it sat on my hard drive for, you know, years and years. And then someone was like, we need you to write a novel. What novel do you want to write? And it, and it turned into one. <laughs> so I don't know. I I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, let's get in touch with you after they read the book and they're excited Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, how how would they find you? I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram, and my handle on both is the same. It's Lara Zontaly, L-A-R-A-Z-O-N-T-A-L-L-Y. So you can find me in either of those places. Um, and And if you're following me on Instagram, I regret to say that it is mostly about gardening, <laughs> occasional book news may surface but if you really want to see pictures of spinach or or whatever like that, that is where you should go well thanks so much for being here today it was great meeting you and good luck with the book i can't wait to read it thank you so much it was a pleasure to talk to you thanks for joining us on book life <laughs> see you later be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.